Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about graphic design and critical theory. On this week's episode, I am joined by Susan Sellers. Susan is a founding partner and creative director at 2x4 and a senior design critic in the Yale School of Art. From 2013 to 2016, she was the head of design at the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York. I've been fascinated by Susan's career and the evolution of her work from studying literature and graphic design at RISD to then uh, going back to school to get a master's in American studies at Yale and then founding 2x4 with Michael Rock and Georgie Stout in the mid-90s. In the 90s, Susan and Michael were part of this really interesting group of people who were really thinking about design deeply and interested in bringing critical theory into the design discourse. But what's interesting about Susan and Michael is that they were not just interested in writing or thinking about these things, but actually putting ideas out into the world. And somehow through those design interventions, we get to two by four. It's a really interesting trajectory. So in this episode, Susan and I talk about all of that. We begin this conversation talking about her first introduction to graphic design and her kind of confusion about uh, what it is. Uh, We also talk about the range of interests that she had as a college student and how she kind of sorted through those and how in many ways she's still working in a similar way and still interested in similar things. We also talk about the changing definitions of graphic design, the title creative director and what that means and why that's important to her and the evolution of design studios. I've said before on this podcast how influential 2x4's work has been to my own practice and my own thinking about being a designer and they continue to be a model that I'm interested in and and honestly aspire to. And so it was really great to have this conversation and just found it so interesting and so fun. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that features behind the scenes content, links and articles from former guests about design and writing and criticism, as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. Scratching the Surface is fully supported through these memberships. So if you like the show, if you want to help with its ongoing production and help it continue, I hope that you would consider joining. Thank you, as always, for listening and enjoy this episode with Susan sellers. I want want to go back in time and talk a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into all of this because um, you got a BFA in graphic design from RISD but I saw when I was kind of preparing for this that you would actually originally were studying comparative literature for a bit before you kind of uh, transferred into into graphic design. Um, how did you kind of discover graphic design or what was it about graphic design that uh, made you want to make that switch? Well, that's interesting. Um, I have to say I had no idea what graphic design was. Okay. Even when I was studying graphic design, I had no idea what it was. Okay, okay. I have to say. Good, because I still don't know, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, well, I... Um, my grandfather actually was a graphic designer, mm. um, and he lived in New Hope, Pennsylvania, and he okay. was very good friends with George Nakashima and a group of okay. artists yeah, yeah. in that area, and my grandmother was a ceramicist, a potter, and she had a small gallery in the area, and so I came from a family of artists and designers, and um, 
So I, um, I was very interested in writing as a high school student. I went to Mount Holyoke College. I was also interested in language. I studied a lot of, I studied French and German and Italian when I was in high school. And so I went to okay. school to Mount Holyoke and I imagined I was interested in literature. I was interested in writing. I was interested right. in language. I loved film. Um, but somehow I became aware of RISD and I had some friends there and I was very attracted to what they were doing. And um, I just decided to transfer to RISD. And I wasn't exactly sure where I could fit in. And um, when you transfer, you have to pick a major, which probably right. wasn't the best thing right. for me. Um, and I loved books. And I was working with a um, visiting artist at um, Mount Holyoke. And I was making a lot of books. And I was making also a lot of installations, immersive installations, which is interesting because that's a lot of what I do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had to pick a major. And I was very intimidated by um, technology and film and equipment. <laughs> and also it was very gendered at the time, I have to right, say, yeah. um, working, for instance, in film. And so I chose design because I thought I would make books. And so I went... And to design as a major, and there was um, something called the transfer summer. Oh, and, yeah. And um, so I went into that six-week program, which was much more general and seemed like everything seemed yeah. fine, like something I knew, working across yeah. all different kinds of disciplines. And then I started the design program, which was very Bauhaus-inspired at the time. It was very non-verbal, verbal, shall yeah, we say, yeah. and I was very verbal right. and very organized around words and writing and thinking. And... It was very weird, I have to say. I had no clue what was going on in that program for most of the time that I was there. And I just really didn't understand what <laughs> was going on. So I continued to make books and I continued to be interested in film and in representation. I got very, I took a lot of classes at Brown. I was very okay. interested in semiotics and ideas of representation, gender yeah. studies, yeah. Uh, representations of race and multiculturalism and all the ideas yeah, yeah. that were, yeah, yeah. you know, in, you know, the kind of topics of the university at the time. Yeah. And I was I'm very involved with the faculty that were interested in those ideas. So Marian Staniszewski was oh, a yeah. professor at RISD at the time. Michael Rock, who's not my partner, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, was interested in those ideas at the time other faculty and so that's those are the things that I thought about and things yeah. that I was working with at RISD but I wasn't really so involved with the graphic design department yeah. and um, I never really imagined that I would be a graphic designer at RISD. Okay, okay. I have like 20 questions based on that. <laughs> I, that's so interesting. I took to me. a lot of classes at on Victorian literature at um, Brown. Did you I mean so uh, let me let me ask you two questions that may or may not be related, but I'm going to kind of give them to you together, and you can kind of make of them what you want. Um, I find it interesting that you 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 had this kind of interest in writing. You were doing these kind of installations, and you were interested in film. Um, and then you get into this design program, and you're like, I don't know what this is. Maybe this doesn't really interest me. I'm kind of just here. Um, so question one is. Was there a time when you were there where something clicked and you realized maybe there's something here? And then two, sub-question, may or may not be related. Uh, you're studying semiotics, you're kind of studying gender studies, all of these questions. Did that seem like something else from design or were you seeing 
were you seeing any connections between stuff you were doing in this kind of traditional Bauhaus uh, education and then, you know, things you were reading and thinking about in these other classes? No, there were okay. no connections. There okay. were no overlaps and no one ever made any effort to help me make them. Okay. Did you want to make them, I guess? Maybe it's um, a better way to ask the question. You know, I wanted to make them, but there were really no, no, no one to help okay. translate yeah. them. And so, um, I mean, like I was much more sort of working in like popular culture okay. and like images in television, images oh, in I the see. media, and yeah. and those really weren't at all explored in the the kind of mainstream, right. Um, right. you know, Bauhaus kind of training. So I have to say, like, I do really appreciate the formal training that I got at RISD, and right. um, and I really, um, especially as professor, I have to say, I. Yeah. really appreciate having really highly trained hand skills and really being able to see well. And um, I don't undervalue that training at all. And right. I right. have a lot of opinions and feelings about the value of that and the way that it should be reincorporated into yeah. design education now. Um, I just wish that it had been rationalized, discussed, right. dis just talked about more. Yeah. That's all it needed, but no one could or would right. talk about right. it. And it was just, I mean, now in a way, in this moment in time, yeah. it's just, um, of course, everything's being kind of upended, yeah. decoded, discussed, and it's, but it's just a completely different yeah. time. The, the reason I asked that last question about those connections is because uh, that was very similar to my own experience, and especially in, in grad school when I kind of went back to try to reshape my career, and I was studying graphic design, but I was also doing a concentration in philosophy and critical theory, and those two things felt like two completely different things, and I was the, I don't say this with any kind of arrogance, I was the first, the critical theory program was so excited to have me because I was the first design student to mm -hmm. do a concentration there because they never talked to each other, and it took me you know, half a half a year of grad school before I could even start to, to make those connections. I mean, when I went back to RISD, several years later, I went back and I, I put together, like, this is what, this, this is the visual work that was being done in the program. This is my, this is what my classwork looked like, and this is what all my other work looked like. So, you know, just zines and Xeroxes of, yeah, you know, yeah. all different types <clears throat> of work that, you know, what, what we looked like, what the clothes right. we were wearing, what we were, you know, what we were consuming, like in film and in television, what we were, how we were, like, dancing, what we were talking about, like, that's, you know, all of popular culture, and right. then we were, like, drawing different weights of lines, and <laughs> drawing wisps out of plastic, uh, out of plaka, yeah. and, yeah. 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 you yeah. know, um, yeah. just crazy stuff, and yeah. it was like, how, what kind of sense do you make of these two worlds that have, like, absolutely no way to come together. Right. And um, it was just an interesting So time. you, you after, after you finished at RISD, you went and worked as a designer for a bit, right? I did for one year. Um, well, I worked actually for two years. I worked one year in New York City in a small studio um, doing, I actually did several nice projects. Um, I worked with a woman named Jill Karstoff who um, actually graduated from Yale and okay. I worked actually, um, I did a catalog um, at the New Museum, um, the very kind of early days yeah. of the New Museum, and um, 
a few other small projects, but that was really nice. And Dia and um, okay. And then um, I then I actually moved to I did I did some traveling, <laughs> and then I moved to Holland. Right. And I um, worked at Total Design actually, and it was an interesting time. I mean, they were doing. Um, the um, identity for the European Union at the time. Oh, interesting. In the office. Um, so that was pretty interesting. It was 1990. Um, and I worked for um, another office, um, Forum 5, um, for a little bit of um, time. So I was just sort of yeah. floating around a bit. I stayed about a year. And then I decided that my future really wasn't there. I wasn't going to stay. Yeah. And so I applied to graduate schools, and I was—I decided I was going to go back to school for basically critical theory and history, um, maybe art history. I wasn't exactly yeah. sure, so I, I moved back to the states at that time. That's exact—that's kind of exactly what my question was. So you yeah. worked—you were working as a designer. Was it that you were still kind of—I don't mean to like psychoanalyze, you know, mm -hmm. you as a twenty-two-year-old, but was it like? Still not sure if design's actually this thing. What was it about? Why'd you want to go back to school? What was it? I mean, what I was the didn't goal there? feel like my education was really complete, and I okay. didn't really feel like um, I just didn't really know what I was going to do. And I knew I was a visual person, and I was going to. And I, I felt a bit like probably I was more of an artist. Like um, mm -hmm. I, I had a lot of opportunities. Like Zone Books was oh, yeah. Um, yeah. very. Um, active at the time and um, I was talking to the staff there about doing independent projects okay. but I didn't feel quite equipped to be able to undertake the opportunities I had. Yeah. I didn't feel like I really had an active visual um, uh, practice that I could take forward myself mm -hmm. and I also wasn't really facile enough in terms of writing. And oh, I was just very young, right? Yeah. And it, I think there was a lot of interest in what I was thinking about in my portfolio because my portfolio was very unusual. Right. But I just wasn't mature enough to really act on the opportunities that were out there. And I just, I needed more, more of a community and, and more skills. And, and I just felt like I needed, um, and I, you know, for instance, actually I met with Liz Diller at oh, Princeton. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and was just, um, you know, I, I had, I was, <clears throat> there were opportunities there yeah. and I just couldn't, um, act, right. I, I couldn't act right. on them because I just wasn't mature enough. And so did you see that going, going back to school, going to Yale and I will admit I haven't been able to find too much about your, your, uh, what you were kind of writing and thinking about while you were at Yale, but it seemed like it was still kind of related to design and visual culture and in some I mean, way. I was a graduate student, you know, so I mean, I was writing about film, I was writing okay. about theory, I was writing about yeah. design, I was writing, you know, what you write about as a graduate student, right. I mean, right, that right. doesn't yeah, get yeah. out into the world that right. much, I right. mean. I, I mean, I guess, the, the question I guess that I'm asking is, did you see the, that time as, like, support for being a designer, or did you see yourself going into... Was this going into academia and you were going to be a, a, a writer? You know what I mean? Did you see it um, as this can then help me when I go back out and try to do these interesting projects? I never really saw myself as being a designer. Okay. okay. I really didn't. Okay. I was not particularly, I didn't never imagine myself like building a big practice, being a big, like, I had no aspiration to be a designer. Okay. Really. Well, let me, 
this is, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about you and thinking about this. I was not a particularly ambitious person. Yeah. Like, I, I was interested in, in, think, in thinking about ideas and making things. Yeah. But I had no big vision for, like, some, you know, I had no yeah. image of what I was yeah. going to be and what I was going to do. Well, this is, this is why I think that this is interesting and kind of where I wanted to take the conversation is because you were in this design world at this really interesting time where there was this kind of rise of thinking about design critically like this. And there was, you know, you and Michael, I'm thinking about Ellen and Abbott, there was Andrew Blauvelt, who were all writing and thinking about this at this kind of deeper level. And you were a part of that. And what I think is interesting, especially now hearing you say you never saw yourself being a designer, is, you know, you all turned into, like, we're not, we don't want to just write about this and think about this. We actually want to do it. And you started it. But, I mean, at the time I was sort of, uh, you know, I mean, I guess I, I guess very quickly post-rationalized it as, um, you know, uh, we were interested in, I mean, in school, sort of busy in a way being a kind of critic. Yeah, and yeah. Sort of an academic and a critic mm-hmm. in the way that you are at school. Just, mm-hmm. And there's a, and a certain element of, you know, playing at that yeah. or experimenting with that, but then you know you get out into the world, and I mean, I mean for for me, and I mean that may have been because Michael is ten years older than me, and I mean very quickly we had opportunities to really um, put those ideas to the test visually, and okay. it was very much about just being given opportunities and kind yeah. of just going for it, and not and just being. Just doing it. Yeah. And I think that was very much our philosophy was just putting theoretical ideas, the ideas in that that we explored academically um, in academia, just putting them to the test in the world visually and just experimenting with those ideas and, and seeing how far you could take them and, and not not being precious about them, not seeing right. them, not trying to be not sort of imagining ourselves as designers or artists, but just seeing how far can we take these into into the yeah. world and like um, seeing seeing ourselves as kind of agents, like yeah. and and we we didn't really imagine building like a boutique studio, kind of selling our services to this to yeah. these people. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we were more interested in like you know building a kind of campaign for interesting ideas. Right. Like these are the things that we think are interesting. We want to explore these ideas we want to spread these ideas and was there we want to find like-minded people and share yeah. those ideas and that's what we did and so you know um whether you know they were with like-minded people like ellen and abbott and andrew Baba, or more like for instance with um a whole set of colleagues at oma who right, came yeah. in a way like you know they were very similar in age there were people that were very like-minded and, you know, it's like we just had a kind of affinity and we just had complementary skills yeah. in different disciplines and we just sort of went for it. Yeah. And, um... Was it... Uh, I hope this doesn't sound reductive, but was it? Was there some sort of something about, you know, it was like legitimizing these ideas in some way of kind of removing them from pure theory, writing, grad school, academy, and saying like, hey, these things can be out in the world. We can do these with other people. Let's... You know what I mean? Was I don't there, think was it was really that intentional. Like okay. I, I think it was just. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I never really thought about it as legitimizing it because, in a way, it was intentional because yeah. we were doing it. So I think it's maybe a little disingenuous actually to say it's not intentional. 
Right, right, right. I, um, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Well, I don't I mean, mean I, I'm I not trying to make mean, you like post-rationalize it at all. I'm, I'm, no, I mean, I, I, I guess like because we always said. I mean, we just wanted to. I mean, I guess we were interested in it, yeah. and we could do it, and. Yeah. In a way, we were we did it, and people actually took it seriously. And actually, um, you know, I was always a little bit surprising to me. Like it was always surprising to me that someone like Ram would listen, and he yeah. was interested, and he was like absolutely, and he would push us forward, and he would push me forward, and you know, yeah. and you know, he was someone he would always say like that he thought his most um, his strongest skill was putting people together, finding mm. people who are doing interesting things and putting them together and building teams and making things happen. And um, and maybe that that's really true and that's what that was about really yeah. seeing the opportunity in a particular moment with a certain group of people and seeing what can happen in that moment in time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I always think it's interesting the relationship between 2 by 4 and OMA and I think both of I think the the trajectory of both is similar, but I think the origins are similar in that like both of you were kind of writing your way into practice. You both came from this kind of writing theory, and then you know, I, I can't think of a better word than legitimize, actualize. Maybe you know, you then kind of put them I think into the actualize world. Actualize is better because yeah. I think there's another thing that was very important about it, and I, I've been thinking about it recently. Because a lot of people think that there's something that's very like um, that it's very kind of high-minded, this academic, it's this kind of boutique kind of, it's very avant-garde or something. Mm -hmm. But in a way, there's something that it's not. It's very kind of survivalist. <laughs> right. It's also it's very intensely pragmatic. Yeah. And very kind of like really trying to understand something, really trying to sort of. Uh, be very intensely, brutally pragmatic about something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to try to really see it as clearly as possible and just like really cut through so many um, barriers and then just really make something happen. Um, and I always thought that about Ram, that in a way he was just someone that really was trying to see something as simply as possible, and I find that myself a yeah. lot. That a lot of the role that I play in my own studio is about just being kind of the person that's willing to say the thing that no one right. else will right. say or see the thing that no one else will see. The clearest, simplest thing that yeah. is actually the most brutally rational, right. and then, or in a way, the hardest thing, right. Right. and then make that happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's interesting to, to for me to hear you kind of talk about it this way. And I've talked to, I've interviewed former two by four people, Eddie O'Para, uh, uh, Mindy Sue, and other people I know who have come through the studio at various times. And they all say the same thing when they talk about the culture here and, and the, the kind of just vibe and tone is that it feels like a grad school environment. It feels educational. It feels like uh, a classroom or a lab in some way. Um, it's so funny that people say that, though, because we always get so annoyed at that. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. 
Because, well, it is. It's like, I mean, we like press for ideas and things, but I mean, we're also like really intensely pragmatic. Like, yeah, yeah, we yeah. are like trying to create value for our clients. Yeah. We are trying to like really achieve things and get things yeah. done. Like, it's not like frivolous. It's not hypothetical. It's like we're really trying to make things happen. <laughs> and we are like responsible for a lot yeah. of people here. We're for, for our clients, for our employees. For their, for their families. Yeah. And I mean, and we're responsible to ourselves. Like, we want to make work that matters. And not that grad we're, students aren't, or graduate programs yeah. aren't. Right, no. But, <laughs> but that was my question. That That's exactly what my question yeah. was going to be, is how do you do, if you can, both of those things? How can you have an environment like that, whether it's annoying to you or not, and serve clients at, you know, every level who are relying on you to produce things. How do you kind of strike that balance, or how do you have both of those things? Well, you have to be really discerning, I think. For instance, the very, very first rule of design, the first kind of act of design, is that you choose your clients and collaborators very um, carefully, and that you really make sure that you share values and ideas. Yeah. And that you really are like-minded and that you really feel you have something to offer and that they really have something to offer you as well. Right, right. Um, and so that's, there's no kind of false consciousness yeah, yeah. there. And then um, I think that in many ways, like we are just, again, that it comes to like this prag pragmatism at some level, like, um, you know, we're like very concrete and achievable and, you know, and we also, I mean, that's, I think also comes down to like a kind of method that we have honed over a long period mm -hmm. of time and it does really extend and pushes at the boundaries of what design is and, you know, it does, it's, I think some would say it's more than graphic design yeah, yeah. in that long before strategy was kind of a buzzword, mm -hmm. we were really insistent that we define, we really research, and we're very involved in like what our clients, how our clients right. define themselves, whether it's like their service or their product or who they are, that we're really involved in that definition and yeah. that their yeah. strategy and that that's about language, it's about that definition, that we really define the terms of what they're trying to achieve and how we're going to right, meet right. that. And um, I mean, it's, it's what I thought was interesting when you said early on that you didn't know you wanted to, if you ever wanted to be a designer, even if you know you would kind of call yourself a designer. And I think it's interesting how 2x4 has been one of the studios that has really kind of pushed the boundaries of what we would call quote-unquote graphic design. I think, you know, strategy obviously is, is a buzzword right now, but that's in the DNA of 2x4 from the beginning. Right. Um, do you have thoughts, not just 2x4 specifically, but maybe just kind of design in general about how that has changed over, you know, over the course of, of the studio and these kind of ever-expanding definitions or these kind of blurring of boundaries between them? Has that changed how you think about your work? Well, I mean, I think that 
we've always wanted at some level it, in the beginning we were interested in writing we were interested in curation we were interested in critique mm-hmm. and so we wanted to encompass that in our work and mm-hmm. so we weren't just interested in the visual quality of our work we were interested right. in creating everything but i think the quality of your visual work work is really dependent on those things as well yeah and so that's also why we're always very interested in, um, well, it, what we kind of almost really quickly kind of encapsulate in the word strategy. Right, I know right? what you mean, yeah. Um, so we've always really done it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's become the way that we've really controlled the quality of our work and it's we've really defined yeah. what what our work is and made that really specific. And I think you can say you can say what our work is, even though our work is really eclectic and maybe doesn't even have such a visual style. Right. Yeah. But it's it's defined, it's distinguished, you rec- can recognize it because its boundaries are broad and mm-hmm. are defined by particular approach to to content to language to approach to kind of content generation this is and then visualization this is not a question that i was planning on asking you but hearing you talk about this uh, i uh i read recently michael's uh piece on virgil abloh in the virgil abloh book and and there's this really nice section in there about kind of this term creative director Mm -hmm. uh and I'm, i'm wondering and i hope this doesn't i'm not trying to like make you put a label on yourself but when I read that I felt like he was writing about Virgil but he was also writing about it's you yeah. and I'm, I'm curious how how that term you know does that feel better in some way than designer or more encompassing or what is it to you about that I think, that's creative true. Director? I think that is true in many ways I mean it's I think that you could say that we're creative directors much more than mm-hmm. we are um designers. I mean, we we call ourselves designers. Yeah, and I don't mean And that's our background, but I mean, in many ways we are creative directors because we're interested in all different, and from our very earliest days, we were making films, you know, and and editing and creating environments and making exhibitions and we're never really not going to do that. Right. And so you can call it creative direction, too. And um, in many ways, as creative direction, as a kind of discipline has gotten yeah. more kind of codified that's actually been super helpful to us <laughs> right because it's it gives given, you a word now well it's given us a word but also even it's given us a kind of certain structures and certain staffing and mm-hmm. things to be able to go and organize our studio around so that there's more support and more stability to do the work we've always right. done right frankly right i mean that's why actually I, really great and that's why and I, I really appreciate that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why i like said at the beginning when you were talking about your time at RISD how you set up all my questions because you're talking about these installations and film and writing. It's yeah. like, oh, that's, yeah. you, that's, you're still doing the same thing. I know. But it's like, but it's you like now, now there's this the new people, language the around it. The structures, the yeah. processes to do that. Yeah. Um, can, <laughs> I have a couple questions to kind of wrap up a little bit. And I'm interested in now, you know, in kind of the, the position that you're in now, how does, uh, how do you think about writing? Um, and I'm, I'm going to intentionally leave that open, but where does writing kind of fit into your your process or your practice today? 
Well, it's really funny because I was when you when you wrote me, I was thinking a little bit about writing about how just recently I feel like I've sort of gotten away from writing. I mean, I use it all the time and I write yeah. all the time and I'm so I'm really involved in writing and I oftentimes shape my clients' writing mm -hmm. and a lot of their voice I shape and um but in another respect, I think what I've become more and more sort of obsessed with recently is actually craft and mm. the things that oh, I would have fought against, but I feel like it's more and more absent actually, because I think more and more it's lost in education and concept and this idea of the creative director becomes right. more and more pervasive. And I think as Instagram and all and technology, yeah. as images fly and become so available to everyone and everyone has this idea of being this kind of empresario right. of all these different disciplines, right? Yeah. That more and more what's lost are people, you know, people sort of like oh, physically making things. Yeah. And that's more, and more and more I just feel like I miss that. Yeah. And I feel like in my own teaching, while I think it's really important, and I, now I have teenagers and kids and my son is an amazing writer, actually, mm. really, really talented writer, but also someone who's making films and he acts and he's, but I, I really am just like, I really want him to like have a lot of command over yeah. physical processes and I, and I really am like, and, but I also think that, I think when you are making things that being able to write and sort of control the terms yeah. of your making and be able to theorize your right. own making is really the, and maybe, I, maybe I'm like only operating from my own history so I maybe it's yeah. really old-fashioned like maybe you just have a great Instagram account and you're just like I'm amazing right. and this is what I mean maybe you take yeah. some pictures of yourself doing it and then <laughs> right. that's enough but I, I think that I'm always feel a bit like you control the narrative uh, yeah. and maybe that's how you control the narrative but I think it's really important to write really well about your work. I agree with you yeah so I'm, I'm very insistent upon that with him so he is not at art school but he is <laughs> in the arts college right and he I'm sure he'll go to art school too and he's yeah. not like constantly making stuff. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I do think that right now, like I'm a little bit like more concerned yeah. about like really making things well and like physical. So I'm, you know, I mean that, that, that's the parrot, that's yeah. the kind of paradigm I'm, and that's the, the tension, but I'm, that's sort of what's on my mind right now. You mentioned, you know, earlier when you were talking about, your time at RISD and, you know, now as a teacher, you have, you know, opinions about kind of the relationship between all these things. Can you talk more about how you approach that now as a, as a teacher in the classroom, that balance classroom? between, yeah, between. Well, it's so interesting because. For that me, theorizing and that making. Well, it, I mean, it's, the thing is that for me as a teacher, I'm really a graduate Advisor, yeah. so yeah. I advise for thesis. So I don't actually get that tangibly involved with my students okay. in terms of their their very detailed making, except for to really just in continually stress that while they need to be eloquent, they need to right. be concrete, and they need to be able to create powerful, logical arguments for <laughs> compelling arguments for their work. <laughs> They need to, you know, back it up with real things that make sense right. to people visually right. and, and feel good. And, you know, um, I, I'm really not that involved in teaching 
okay. that, you know, like detailed visual thing is it's like yeah. I'm someone that's checking in with them and this kind of someone that's like a sounding board and a mentor and someone that makes connections for them yeah. between like, um, you know, their graduate experience in the outside world and, yeah. and it's more like a kind of that type of mentor and okay. I do a lot of mentorship like that, which I really love. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was asking this question kind of selfishly. I'm a thesis advisor at Pratt, and mm -hmm. I, I'm constantly trying to figure out that balance because I, I will, you know, admit that I tend to get more excited by the theorizing part uh, than the craft part, but I know they're always saying, like, how's this going to get me a job? Like, this also needs to look right. good, and finding that balance for me is hard, well, both in my own work and as I a, mean, but I, I mean, I do. Advisor. I really, I mean, I also just trying to get to know someone, trying yeah. to support them in their own ambitions, but trying to hold their feet to the fire right. and know like what is hard for them to make themselves do and to make sure that they're paying attention to the thing <laughs> that's hard for them to pay attention to, you know, mm -hmm. and to just, and it, that can be hard, you know, it's like, it's a little bit like the psychoanalysis of thesis advising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you know someone they really want to do something, but you know their Achilles heels, and they're not going to go and do like that last pass to the right. photography. And right. it's like, right. you just have to say to them finally, like, I appreciate this. I think your ambitions, I appreciate your ambitions. I think this could be great. You have a great opportunity here, except that right. you're going to fail right. because you just didn't do this. Right. You need to go and work on this. You need to go and talk to this person. You need to, you know, look at these specific details, you know, and, and that's always like a hard yeah. conversation. Yeah. But um, it's, it is kind of important to have. Yeah. 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 I, know, I know what you mean. I have, I have two kind of quick questions to, to wrap up the conversation. And one you started answering, I'm, I'm, when you were talking about your son and kind of this, this balance and, and kind of, you know, writing and making um I'm, I'm interested in what else you're thinking about right now whether that is kind of what's next for the studio kind of the way you're thinking about your role in the studio what's uh what are the things that are kind of top of mind for you that you can talk about yeah i mean gosh what am i thinking right now i mean there's a lot <laughs> okay. i mean i'm thinking a little bit about Gosh, there's so many things. I mean, I'm thinking a little bit about what is the role of a studio like our studio, mm. where we do so many things, and right. it's hard to do so many things like our studio mm -hmm. um, and still be viable. And is a studio like ours a, that you know we're generalists? Right. You know, yeah. is, is it is that going to be something that's going to continue to be viable mm -hmm. in this environment where technology continues to streamline mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. and in a way make kind of nuanced design and the kind of idiosyncrasy of objects and experiences yeah. maybe less less of a kind of that's interesting something that's needed or you know yeah and so everything's through these you know these kind of really homogenous channels and and we're pretty big for that yeah and the things that we create you need these kind of elaborate teams right um and so like is our studio a little bit of a dinosaur 
Um, you know, yeah. it's like, is that something that's ne so necessary? And, um, you know, and, and, and we're like kind that's of a real hybrid. I mean, we've worked really hard with our studio to try to maintain, you know, there's, we have a lot of like baby spider plants, you know, like oh, yeah. little mini <laughs> yeah. two by fours out yeah. there, yeah. you know, all different people who've, you know, um, you know, created their own, you know, we've, we've created, we've had a lot of people that have moved into leadership positions yeah. from our studio and that's one yeah. thing, but then we've had a lot of people that have smaller studios that are kind of have, are doing similar types of work that the studio have done at a much smaller scale. And, but our studio, I mean, we, yeah. We just kind of take on bigger projects that are really complicated, difficult problems, but bring our, our approach to it. Right. And, um, you know, it's it's a really hard model to sustain. I can and, imagine. And one of the things that it demands is that we maintain, we create a team structure in our studio that allows us to retain deep amount of like knowledge and expertise mm -hmm. but also a sense of kind of like invention and almost like perpetual kind of amateurism like that we come to things that are far right. new different right. weird and that's like it's really um a challenge yeah and it's very unwieldy it's not particularly lucrative <laughs> it's very just it can be stressful yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's 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 not um, a well-oiled machine, shall we say. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Especially after all this talk about how pragmatic everything is. No, no, I mean, yeah. I mean we, we're, I, so we have to be yeah. pragmatic. I know what you mean. But yeah. we, we do make a lot of sacrifices yeah. to kind of keep it all going. So yeah. we are pragmatic like that. Right. I mean, and so, um, and we are pragmatic. Like, we sometimes come into the room and say, like, you know, this is the thing that no one's looking at and being real about. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so yeah. we ask a lot of questions about, like, you but, know, how sustainable this model is and how long, you know, is there a real need for this in the world? Yeah. That's all I know. There seems to be a little bit left, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm mad that you're, at, you're talking about this right at the end of the conversation because I could ask you <laughs> a series of, of questions about that. Um, my impression from the outside is that it seems like there's more... I feel like there's more suitors who are kind of trying to follow this model and just kind of doing a lot of different, it seems like that's potentially the next thing, not the dinosaur, but, or it's, you know, it all falls apart. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're also like, we're very big. Yeah, yeah. That. You know, I mean, we have three partners. Right. And that takes a lot of infrastructure yeah. in our studio. My last question, which is a much easier question than, than the previous question, I'm just interested in what you're reading right now. Oh my gosh, what am I reading right now? Well... Or looking at it, doesn't, we don't have to limit it to just reading, watching, listening to. Well... Consuming. Or I just made that question harder by expanding it beyond reading. <laughs> No, I've been thinking about, um, I have to say, I'm just having like a funny, um, a funny, because I've been reading this really, um, Michael and I've been reading a really kind of intense, but we've been reading a lot of Susan Sontag. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we've been reading like Always. all of Susan Sontag, yeah. uh, you know, just with her death kind of reviewing her whole, and with the camp exhibition. Yeah, yeah. We were kind of reading her whole genre. 
which was really great. And then um, we've been consuming actually a lot of television. Okay. We've just had like a mad kind of consumption of the whole kind of renaissance of television. Yeah, so yeah. we're like on a simultaneous like catching like up on it all. Every yeah. single possible, <laughs> which is kind of great, I have to say. Like yeah. The whole sort of amazing creativity of serial yeah. broadcasts. I don't know if you even call it television anymore. Yeah. What is it called? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other conversation. No, I know, but um, it's pretty great. It's really... I'm with you. I, we did the same thing a couple years ago where it was just like, yeah. let's just watch all of it. <laughs> I know. I have to say, well, it's funny because so my son, as I said, is really interested in film and in acting and storytelling in general. And so we started recently. So I would say the beginning of that sort of whole renaissance started with The Wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then The Sopranos. So we yeah. started sort of from the beginning, like, okay, him, yeah. like two years ago. Oh, I so love it's that. Pretty, yeah, so it's been really great. So I've been consuming a lot of that stuff. And then um, one of our very close friends is Brigitte Lacombe. And she, as you may or may not know, she's a photographer. But I know she, the name. She was from very early days um, Scorsese's oh, okay. um, kind of on-site, behind-the-scenes photographer. Oh, okay. So we've been going through all of Scorsese's um, genre ending oh, just that. recently with the Irish. Yeah, I just watched that last the, night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we went to the premiere with her. So Oh, that's great. So that's kind of what we've been consuming recently, which I sort of that. makes sense. It does. It somehow brings this whole conversation full circle, yeah. actually. That's yeah. great. Thank you so This was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for sure. no, being on the podcast. Thank you. It was fun. This episode was recorded on December 16th, 2019. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.